Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette and this is your Locked On Canucks for the morning of Wednesday, November 13th, the day after the Vancouver Canucks come out with a triumphant 5-3 victory on home ice over the Nashville Predators. I know I told you I'd be uh, back with you yesterday to talk about Sunday's game against the New Jersey Devils and preview last night's action, but you probably heard it in my voice uh, during my two-part interview with Jackson McDonald and, and probably my conversation uh, with Daniel Wagner of the Vancouver Courier the day before that as well. Uh, I have just been sick as a dog over the last little while. I don't even know how that's possible. I already had a cold a month ago, and yet I have a different kind of cold now it's been awful. So yesterday I was just laid out in bed all morning long being absolutely miserable with a, with a headache and coughing up a storm. But I'm back with you today to talk about last night's action against the Nashville Predators. Touch a little bit on Sunday's game against the New Jersey Devils as well. And what a game. I know I said last week when I was looking back at uh, the Canucks three-game California road trip about the fact that, you know, this talking point that I've been stressing quite a bit, certainly over the first 10 to 12 games of the season, we had not yet seen a star player, one of the star forwards for the Vancouver Canucks anyways, really step forward and make their mark, undeniably take over a hockey game and steal their team a victory. I told you that that happened uh, on the California road trip that Brock Besser took over that game against the LA Kings on the night before Halloween. And you know what? I stand by that, but it's pretty easy to take over a game against the LA Kings. The LA Kings are not a very good team, as we've discussed many times here on Locked On Canucks, and I've talked about multiple times as well on the Locked On NHL feed when I do Western Conference Wednesdays with Locked On Sharks C. Morley every single Wednesday. The Kings suck, to be perfectly honest, and that's not being cruel to them. That's just the kind of team they are this year, and you don't even need to feel particularly sorry for them because the Canucks have certainly been there over the last four years. It's one thing to take over a game and have a marquee star make an impact, make an impression on a game like that against a, a team that is imminently beatable. And look, we know, having watched the team play over the last week, that just because a team is beatable does not mean that the Vancouver Canucks are going to come up with a W against them. I feel very foolish having made uh, my 8-4 and four prediction for the team's record over the remainder of the uh, 12 games in the November schedule when I got asked about that last week because what I didn't account for is that this team is just this team sometimes. And for example, uh, they just are eternally cursed against the New Jersey Devils and simply cannot beat New Jersey under any circumstances. I didn't account for that when I looked at the schedule and thought, what is this team going to do as far as wins and losses? I just saw a beatable team and thought, well, that should be a guaranteed win. But Canucks have not come up with wins against New Jersey in, I think, almost six seasons at this point. So uh, I, I failed to account for that. But uh, <laughs> having said all that, you know, it's easier to take over a game against a lowly opponent it's not that easy to take over a game against one of the best teams in the Western Conference and, heck, what has been over the last several years, one of the best teams in the entire NHL. And the Nashville Predators are exactly that. Have they been as strong this season uh, as they have been in years past? Perhaps not. 
they might be missing a, a, a piece up front. Perhaps they might be even missing P.K. Subban's contributions a little bit uh, as much as they needed to clear out that cap room from his $9 million contract so that they could offer that same amount to Roman Yossi over the next eight years. But that's neither here nor there. This is a very strong team. This is a team that was in the Stanley Cup final not that long ago. This was a team that many picked to go back after they were in the final last year. That obviously didn't happen, but they're still one of the bright lights of the Western Conference, and Elias Pettersson had a game to remember. Pettersson was spectacular last night against the Predators, and you could tell that he was feeling it right from the get-go. Obviously, a very special game for Petey. The birthday boy turned 21 in that, you know, uh, yesterday. I was going to say in the afternoon, but I guess it would have been his birthday uh, from the moment he woke up. He turned 21 years old yesterday, and he went on to have uh, a game that was a gift to all of us. He went on to put on uh, one of his premier performances, you know, over the course of his admittedly young career, but he looked like a man possessed, a man on a mission, a man who had a good deal of family and friends in Vancouver for his birthday, uh, you know, had flown a bunch of people in from Sweden and had them in the crowd cheering him on over the course of the evening. Do you think that contributed to the way that he put up uh, a good deal of points over the course of the night? Put up two goals powered his team back into a winning position every single time the Predators seemed to climb back in it. Uh, added a two-goal cushion after Adam Gaudet restored the lead in the in the middle frame. Yes, I think these are all contributing factors to the way things went uh, for the team on this night. Uh, you know, he, he looked like a guy who was fired up right from the very beginning. In the first period, uh, there was a moment where he called for a pass on the power play, or might not have even been on the power play. In fact, I think it was at even strength, given the Canucks were a perfect three for three on the man advantage last night. And the power play, as well as Elias Pettersson, a huge contributing factor to the way they took over the game. But that's neither here nor there. There was a moment in the first period where Pettersson was kind of, uh, you know, beaver tailing on the ice, calling for the puck from Quinn Hughes, and the pass never came. And at the end of the play, he smashed his stick against the ice, looked very frustrated, and headed back to the bench. Now, is that because he was disappointed in his teammate uh, not giving him the puck when he wanted it? Or is that just because perhaps he's gotten a little frustrated with teams checking him pretty close? I'd, I'd lean more towards column B than column A. I like to think that Pedersen is a, a pretty good teammate and wouldn't be um, expressing that level of frustration against Quinn Hughes in especially the early stages of a game when there was still plenty of time for the team to get on the board and, and beat Pekka Rene, despite the fact that Rene was making some just very large stops on the Canucks, certainly early in that game. JT Miller absolutely buzzing as he uh, you know tried to get things going, I guess, with, with Bo Horvat as uh, Travis Green shook up the lines. That's one thing I haven't mentioned as I've been so hyper-fixated on the performance of Elias Pettersson. You know, the, the trouble against New Jersey and the fact that the team had not generated much offense against the lowly Blackhawks, Jets, and Devils all in a row got Travis Green throwing his lines in a blender and, and trying to find some new combinations, which uh, I believe had Josh Levo starting off with Pedersen and Besser. It really didn't matter who played with them. It was Levo to start. But, you know, Pedersen and Besser are so good as a duo does it help when there is a third elite player in 
JT Miller, who, you know, you might not want to call elite at this point, given that he's outperforming anything he's ever done in his career so far playing with Pedersen and Besser. But at the same time, you look at the underlying data, and he has been Vancouver's best player so far this season. In terms of his ability to drive play, he's playing even better than Pedersen has in a number of ways so far to start the year. So, you know, you, you understand the argument to try to spread things around and just alleviate the pressure that has been put on Bo Horvat so far early in this season. However, Horvat faced more pressure than he's ever faced this year, possibly ever in his career. More on that before too long here, but I do want to wrap up my thought on Elias Pettersson. He looked mad. He looked fired up. He looked like a guy who was not going to be denied the kind of heart of a winner, the kind of drive that you see in players that go on to win championships, that fire, that passion, uh, that refusal to be turned aside. And it really came through, certainly in the second and third periods, as Pedersen had two fantastic goals, one on the power play, one at even strength. And um, he was great. He was simply outstanding in this game. And like I said, took over the contest at a time where Bo Horvat is going through a five-on-five scoring slump at a time where the power play was going through something of a scoring slump at all uh, as well. Rather, uh, Pedersen powered that power play again last night. He wasn't the only one, of course, to score that way, but uh, he powered uh, some even strength offense as well. He was outstanding. It was a masterful performance, and uh, you just wish it could be his birthday every day. Anyway, more on Bo Horvat in a minute after this. Okay, so did Bo Horvat have himself a perfect game? Did he take over the way that Elias Pettersson did? Certainly not, but he was asked to do so much last night, and he did it pretty well, I would say, for the most part. For a guy who has had five-on-five struggles so far this season, he was... uh, he was asked to take over basically the majority of Brandon Sutter's ice time. Brandon Sutter left yesterday's game having only played a minute 32. It was very early in the first period that Sutter went down the tunnel and slammed his stick against the wall and did not return. Uh, Travis Green offered no update on Sutter's condition following the end of the game, but this is a big loss for the Canucks who already came into the Knights' uh, action without Jay Beagle, who missed Sunday's game against the New Jersey Devils as well and seems to have suffered some kind of undisclosed injury over the last couple days. But uh, Green did say, I believe, that Beagle is uh, expected to be day-to-day. So should be back, hopefully, before too long. Uh, I, I, you know, Fingers crossed on that one. As much as we deride the fact that the team does have two centers in Sutter and Beagle who don't contribute a ton offensively in terms of uh, you know, helping to generate shots and, and set up line mates and whatnot. You know, they, their sticks are where offense goes to die quite often. As much as you cannot have two of those guys, it is still useful to have one of those guys. Like, I will concede, Jay Beagle is a valuable player to have. A guy who eats up a lot of penalty-killing minutes. A guy who is very good at eating up penalty-killing minutes. And, you know, as much as I, I don't necessarily buy into the uh, idea that uh, Elise Pettersson simply cannot be killing penalties, given that um, you know the back check and his ferocious dedication to playing strong defense and generating offense out of that is so much of what we praise about Elias Pettersson's five-on-five play. Uh, that translates to penalty killing, certainly. At the same time, if Pettersson is only going to be playing you know, in the neighborhood of 17 to 21 minutes a night, do you want any of those minutes really to be coming on the penalty kill? 
Probably not. So, you know, it is valuable to have guys like a Jay Beagle or like a Brandon Sutter to eat up those minutes. And in the absence of both of those guys, you know, Adam Gaudet, he had himself a great night last night. He looked like a real genuine NHL player. He showed the kind of chemistry that we saw from him uh, and Sven Berchi in training camp. Those two guys combined on a goal uh, that made it 3-2 at the time, uh, but did not hang on to be the game winner as uh, Philip Forsberg would score his second of the night before it was all said and done. Um, regardless, Gaudette, for all the success he had offensively and for uh, getting a goal from the second unit power play, a second unit that's been much derided and rightfully so over the course of this season, uh, he does not have the trust of Travis Green on the defensive side of the puck at the moment, and perhaps with good reason. He hasn't been particularly strong in that area of his game right now, but you know, neither was Bo Horvat when he entered the league, and some will say Bo Horvat never has been particularly good at it, save for uh, last season where he seems to take a perverse pleasure in being strong at both ends of the rink. That has not been the case for Horvat so far this year, but he did have a much improved night in that regard. Being asked to play the most minutes of, I do believe, any player in this game, certainly any player on the Vancouver side, and as I look over at the Nashville ice as well, yes, any player from them as well. Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis played uh, a hair over 26 minutes. Bo Horvat as a forward, 27.06, including three and a half minutes of power play time and two and a half minutes of penalty killing time. So a uh, enormous amount asked of Bo Horvat in last night's action, and he stepped up to the plate and delivered. He took more than three quarters of his team's face-offs over the course of the evening as well. Only fared about 52% on the draw over the course of the night. But still, the fact that he took that many face-offs in the first place because the team simply didn't trust anyone else to do that is incredible. I don't know why JT Miller didn't get asked to take more draws because he actually is pretty good at it. And if the team does have to go without uh, both of uh, Brandon Sutter and Jay Beagle uh, over the course of this homestand, of course, with uh, two more games coming up here, Dallas coming up on Thursday night and then a date with the Colorado Avalanche on Saturday after that. If they are going to be without those two centers over the course of this homestand, I'm not necessarily in favor of calling up a Tyler Grauvac or Grauvac or however you say that guy's name. You know, I I don't want to see an AHL center being asked to you know, carry the load in terms of, you know, any any minutes like that. We already have Louis Erickson in the lineup here in Vancouver. And if you'd asked me with a gun to my head if Louis Erickson played any amount of t ice time in last night's action against the Predators, I would say no. He was not noticeable. I never heard his name once on commentary. And yet somehow Louis played eight minutes last night, including 46 seconds on the penalty kill. Uh, he was the the lowest ice of anyone on the team, not named Brandon Sutter, who, as I mentioned, left after just two shifts, possibly even one lengthy shift, a minute 32 of ice, as I said, for Brandon Sutter. Everybody else saw more ice time as a result of that. You know, Jake Vertanen, who's typically been in the 12-minute range. Uh, Jake, last night, closer to 15, played 14.51, and actually looked great on the wing with Bo Horvat. I know that Jackson McDonald, uh, when I talked about this with him on Monday, 
was very clear, and Thomas Trance said the same thing, that he is having a negative effect on everyone that he plays with and that he is not a real option and that the eye test that he's passing is all an illusion, but he passed the eye test again, and he passed it with flying colors. Might have been one of his best games of the year, and he didn't even score in it. He just did the little things well. He went out of his way to try and set up Bo Horvat for goals to try and get his captain off the schneid and get feeling it once again. I mean, that's how Jake scored one of his goals about a week and a half ago. He tried to set up a goal for, for Bo against Chicago. I guess that was less than a week ago now. And it wound up, uh, I think that was against the Blackhawks, his, his goal late there. It wound up going in instead, uh, deflecting off of the defenseman's skate and in as he tried to set up Bo. He's he's doing good things from a playmaking perspective, and he threw his weight around a ton last night. Jake Vertanen was credited with four hits on the night, but they were all of the noticeable variety. He was stirring it up. He was, you know, causing a ruckus. It was the kind of performance you want to see from him. Nearly 15 minutes of ice time for Jake, and he made good on pretty well all of it. Uh, only 13 minutes for Sven Berchi, but Berchi able to get an assist, a power play point, as he uh, had the touch to set up Adam Gaudet's, uh power play goal, as I mentioned earlier. Godet's goal, a bit of a wild one. Tanner Pearson fired the puck right through Rene's crease, Came out the other end. Josh Levo got a touch on it as well. So three forwards, four forwards combining for a second unit power play goal. Pearson, Levo, and then Berchi pushed it forward for Gaudet at the net front. We know that Berchi and Gaudet have chemistry. If the Canucks want to ride a, you know, sort of fourth or third line that plays more of a scoring role, the role that Sutter has been in of late, you can do that, as I talked about with Jackson the other day and kind of teased out with uh, with Daniel Wagner the day before that, you know, you can do that with Adam Gaudet and Sven Berchi together. That is a proven combination. They showed extremely well in training camp, and they can do it again if you give them consistent minutes. Speaking of consistent minutes, however, I am once again concerned with the fact that Alex Edler played 24-09 in last night's game, and I don't want to harp on Edler's ice time game after game after game, but it is a story. It is a recurring narrative. It is concerning that Edler is playing close to 25 minutes a night when he's 33 years old. This guy is not in the prime of his career anymore. He cannot be relied on to be this team's vaunted A1 number one defenseman. If you still want Alex Edler to be your number one overall, he can be that guy. He can be on the top pair. You know, he played more than four minutes uh, four, close to four and a half minutes more than his defensive partner Tyler Myers did. And Myers left the game very briefly, looked like he'd suffered an injury scare as well. He wound up coming back. That doesn't account for a four and a half minute discrepancy, though. Myers wasn't gone from the game for that long. For them to be leaning on Alex Edler that much, a crash is coming. We already saw a crash to a certain extent in the game against Winnipeg last week where Edler looked disinterested, exhausted, however you want to put it. He was gassed. He could not keep up. He's going to have more performances like that. If you keep throwing him that amount of ice, it's absurd and it needs to stop. And you know what else needs to stop? You eating junk food and not looking after yourself because you just don't feel like cooking, okay? You come home, you got the sweatpants on, you're not going to go out of the house, you don't feel like taking off for a night on the town at your favorite restaurant, so you're just going to bust out a frozen meal or a pizza from the freezer. It's junk. It's not good for you. You shouldn't do it at all. Never mind however many nights you might find yourself doing it. And I'll tell you right now, there is a better way. You don't have to cook for yourself to eat well at home. 
of the good folks at DoorDash want to help you bring your favorite restaurants right to you. I do it right here in Vancouver. I tell you, you know, uh, it's not always the big chain. Sometimes it's a local faux place. Sometimes I'm feeling like fried chicken. I'll, I'll look up uh, Juke, one of my favorite restaurants in the city. I'll get them to bring fried chicken right at your doorstep. Whatever you're feeling like, your favorite restaurants are no more than a couple button taps away. Thanks to DoorDash. And it's not just if you're, you know, staying home and feeling lazy and not feeling like cooking. If you're, you know, powering through, if you're just locked in at work on the at the office and and don't feel like stopping, don't feel like leaving your workstation and and taking time away to to go enjoy a meal, you can bring it to work and keep working, keep powering through as well. DoorDash brings all of your favorite restaurants right to you. Ordering is easy. You just have to open up the app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Not only is your favorite restaurant already on DoorDash, there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities, so you might just find a new favorite joint as well. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, you can order from your local go-tos or choose from all kinds of of national chains as well. And don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code Locked On. Okay, now that you've ordered yourself some fried chicken, I got sidetracked there by remembering the fact that Louis Erickson even exists in this lineup at all. The point that I was going to make there is I don't want to see another AHL caliber player, uh, you know, in terms of like a bottom six guy, whether that's a Gravatch or any number of people who might be playing center down in Utica right now. Heck, I don't even know who's playing center in Utica right now, regardless. Either way, what I would like to see is if they need to do this, JT Miller can be used at center. You can have your four centers on this roster being Pedersen, Horvat, Miller, and God debt. Now, the way to do that, to round out the roster, is to call up another scoring winger, perhaps. And we do know there is one of those waiting in the wings. Literally, the wings. <sighs> he can play on this roster. He, could, he, he can still be a useful contributor at the NHL level on a team that has seen a just crazy spate of injuries lately. I am, of course, talking about Nikolai Goldobin. It is not too late to bring him back up here and see what he can do, perhaps. If you're going to move JT Miller off the wing of Pedersen and Besser, maybe Nikolai Goldobin can slot back in there, and Josh Levo can do his heavy lifting in terms of winning board battles on either the Miller line or the Horvat line or even the Goddett line, whatever it happens to be. There's all kinds of things that you can do with this team, and yes, have they lost a ton of forwards to injury of late, whether that's uh, a Tyler Mott or a Michael Furland or an Antoine Roussel who skated with the team today, who skated with the team yesterday but is still not ready to come back. Who else are they missing right now? You know, Sutter, obviously, and uh, Jay Beagle as well. That's a lot of people to be missing, but they have the depth to soldier through it, and that's why you kept a guy like uh, Nikolai Goldobin in the minors. That's why you kept a guy like Sven Berchi in the minors as well, because there was going to come a time where these gentlemen proved useful again, like like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings. They had a purpose, a noble purpose yet to serve, and they can still do that. Uh, I would rather see that happen, certainly, than call up uh, you know a guy who's been a career grinder at the AHL level and has never really amounted to much at the NHL level. We at least know that 
in a pinch is a Band-Aid solution, Nikolai Goldobin can contribute to an NHL team. So there's that. Also wanted to mention the fact that, man, Thatcher Demko has been just terrific of late. Like, this entire season, really. He's been lights out from the moment he stepped in. In a difficult situation, got forced into the crease for a run of games in a row. I think he played three in a row when uh, Jacob Markstrom went back to Sweden to attend to a family matter, which we now know is the you know the fact that his father was on death's door battling cancer. Uh, Jacob had last night's game off, I think for very understandable reasons. The fact that his father has passed away, he, he, he maybe needs time for a mental reset. He, he should not be uh, asked to uh, concentrate on matters as far as uh, being a competitive hockey player and, and doing his best to win this team games when uh, there's more important things going on in his life right now. Uh, his family is obviously going through a difficult grieving period and maybe, you know, it's, it's good for him. As much as we've said about Markstrom in this situation in the past, even when we didn't know what it was, that it can be a good thing to have that distraction uh, to be able to pour yourself into your work and and not have to think about you know your your feelings and and all that sort of thing. Look, personally, I can say I had to go out and do play by play for three and a half hours on a junior hockey game the night that uh, my grandfather passed away. Like literally, I found out 15 minutes before the game started that he had just died, and I had to go out there and call a game for three and a half hours, and it was the perfect thing for me to do because. I just got to think about hockey for four hours straight and kind of put my mind into a different place and just deal with it after the fact. Was it a difficult night to do that? Absolutely it was, but it it helped me as well. So I don't know if Jacob Markstrom would rather be playing right now. The team elected to give the start to Demko. Demko has been spectacular this season, and he made a number of fantastic stops in last night's action as well, even if he did allow three goals on the night. Ultimately, he was a huge reason why the Canucks won that game, and uh, hats off to him. He should have been in the three-star selections, honestly, uh, but he did not wind his way into the three-stars. Look, I, three stars doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter at all, uh, but Pedersen was in there. Uh, Tanner Pearson, who we haven't even talked about on the show, had two goals last night, including an incredible empty netter, like one of the most amazing empty net goals a guy can possibly score. On the goal line in his own zone, he rifled this thing. It was like a, it was a Hail Mary pass all the way down and found the twine. Two goals for Tanner Pearson, one of them an empty net goal. Does that really stand out above the performance that Thatcher Demko put on last night? Adam Gaudet was also a star, according to the broadcast. Patterson was star number one. To me, Thatcher Demko was the second-best Canuck on the ice last night. He should have been uh, in that three-star selection, but... Ultimately, that doesn't matter. What does matter, and I don't want to spend a whole heck of a lot of time on this because it will be a subject tackled in depth on Locked On NHL this week. As I mentioned earlier, C. Morley and I host Western Conference Wednesdays every Wednesday on the Locked On NHL feed. And every Thursday, you can find me doing a one-on-one interview as well. Last week, I talked with Jeff Vayette of faceoffcircle.ca about uh, the Maple Leafs and what's going on in Toronto this season as far as uh, all kinds of despair and dysfunction that seems to be emanating from a city that thought that they had one of the top cup contenders this season and still might. It is a philosophical battle going on in TO this year, something that we know about all too well here in Vancouver, this back and forth push and pull between, uh, of course, 
what the game is turning into as far as a speed and skill game and what the old guard still wants it to be as far as a conservative brand of hockey full of checking and muckers and fights and hits and all that sort of stuff, which is a perfect segue into what I will be dealing with more on that show this week and what I will briefly touch on here. Don Cherry, of course, one of the leading voices in that conservative uh, army as far as the, the voices within hockey that want the game to go back to how it was 30, 40 years ago, that want society to go back as well to the way it was 30, 40 years ago. Don uh, got in very hot water after his racist comments on Saturday night. There's literally no other way to call them. I don't want to hear from anyone telling me that, oh, he's talking about everybody needs to wear the poppy. That is not what he said, and it is a spin job that he's putting on after the fact to think that if if I just said everybody instead of you people, my message would have been the same and nobody would be mad at me. You people is not the only part of what he said that was terrible. He went on to say that come here and enjoy our way of life and enjoy our milk and honey. There is no other way to read that, even if you replace you people with everybody. He is still talking about immigrants. It is rare to hear a statement from someone that would seemingly be less racist if he used the words immigrants outright instead of the euphemisms that he did use. So Don Cherry was very racist on Saturday night. When I talked to Jackson McDonald about it on Sunday morning in an interview that you heard over the last couple days here, we both thought that nothing was going to come from this, that it would all blow over and Sportsnet would you know, bite the bullet and, and keep Don around because Don's an institution and you simply cannot get rid of him because people will lose their minds if you do anything to touch the sanctity of Coach's Corner, despite the fact that nobody has enjoyed watching it. No one has enjoyed watching Don, Don Cherry on television over the course of the last six, seven years. Take your pick. He has been terrible on television, and he doesn't even offer valid analysis of hockey anymore. His brain is oatmeal. What he says is gibberish. You have an impossible time even discerning anything that he's saying these days. Look, he was let go. He uh, was you know, decided to step down as opposed to issuing a proper apology because he's refused to do that. He's sewered Ron McLean for having the guts to say that what Don said on Saturday night was unacceptable. And really, that just shows the character of Don Cherry as well. Because look, what J- Jackson and I were very upset with Ron McLean when we talked about it. A lot of people were very upset with Ron McLean that he would just nod along and give that racist statement the thumbs up awful stuff from ron that he would do that but he immediately owned it after the fact he, he said he, he wasn't necessarily listening which is totally fine totally understandable and you're in a situation with don cherry like that week after week forever yeah you're probably going to tune out when he goes on one of his incredibly indecipherable rants about whatever he's talking about so you know after the fact ron took full accountability of the awful message that Don put forth on national television on Saturday. And Ron has tried to smooth things over for Don for basically his entire career. He's taken a ton of heat for things that he had nothing to do with. And to be the accountable member of that duo and take heat from Cherry as if he threw him under the bus or sewered him because he was the only one of the two of them willing to take accountability for what was actually said on that show on Saturday night, Look, I have to commend Ron McLean for the way he owned it. And I have to, 
wagged the finger at Don Cherry for being a little piss baby and refusing to accept responsibility for the things that he said. I also want to be clear that the people who are interviewing him as he makes his little press tour right now are not doing themselves any favors as well by allowing him to say things like, well, if I just said everybody, then people would have agreed with me because my real point was about how no one is doing enough to honor the troops. That is not what he said, and he is being allowed to skate free on that without having to back it up at all, without anybody pressing him further on. What about the part where you said, who come to our country and enjoy our freedoms, enjoy our way of life, enjoy our milk and honey? All of those things are talking about immigrants. It is not just you people. That's bullshit from Don Cherry. Makes me insane that it is not being pushed back on by anyone who interviewed him at all over the course of yesterday. So, yeah, uh, we talked about that. We both thought that uh, he wasn't going to get fired, but he was. And um, if you are a you know uh, old boomer who is surly after a few drinks and wants to call me up and tell me about how, oh, this is the beginning of they're taking away our freedom of speech, which is something that I had to hear a good many times yesterday. Frankly, you don't understand what freedom of speech is, if that's what your opinion is. Is Don Cherry in prison for saying what he said? No, he is not. He has the freedom to offer up his opinion, and he has the freedom to suffer the consequences for it as well. Freedom of speech is not freedom from consequence. Don Cherry said something awful. It is not a surprise that he did that. He's been saying awful things for a very long time. This is just the one that finally got him, and honestly, good fucking riddance. Anyways, that's our show for today. Uh, If you would care to rate and review me on the old iTunes store or Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to get the show, it always uh, gives us a little boost in the algorithms. I appreciate it. And it's nice to read the nice words from people who leave reviews and let me know that you enjoy the program, even if uh, I may have just pissed you off with what I said about Don Cherry. But you know what? You can stand to be a little mad if that pissed you off, to be perfectly honest, because... uh, I'm mad today. I'm I'm very mad. I'm very upset. Ramina Schlaw of uh, Flames Nation lost her job arguing with people about uh, Don Cherry being a racist because people took the same approach that Don is taking. Oh, he's just talking about the troops. There was nothing wrong with that. He was not talking about the troops, and even if he was, Ramina uh, was of the opinion that uh, F the troops. I wouldn't go so far as to say that, but if a you know brown woman of color was not necessarily fully on board with Western militarization and and rah-rah jingoism, I think you can understand and appreciate her perspective without rallying to get her fired as multiple people went on to just ruin her life yesterday. So, uh, yeah, Don Cherry is going to be fine. Don Cherry is going to land on his feet, whether that's with Rebel Media or Fox News or literally anywhere. He doesn't even need a job. He's made millions of dollars to talk for five minutes a week over the last several decades He's fine. Ramina and people like her are not fine. They do not have the safety net of millions of dollars accrued over the courses of their career. They just have an angry horde of furious white men who so badly want to feel like they are being persecuted. They have it easy. They still they don't have it as easy as they did 20 years ago. They still have it easy. And uh they they want to feel like they are a a you know persecuted class. You simply are not. And uh, congratulations on um, going out and ruining a young woman's life by getting her fired from not one but two of her jobs. So uh, that is terrible, and uh, is exactly why I'm as fired up as I 
just proved to be. So that's that. Uh, that's the show for today. And I will be back again to do this all over again sometime. Who knows when I will really be back. That, that's This is how I should you know stop setting myself up for failure is just uh, not telling you when to expect the next episode. The next episode will arrive whenever it arrives, but it will probably arrive tomorrow to set up Thursday night's meeting with the Dallas Stars. Until then, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you're locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.